So over this past weekend, uh, one of, I would say, probably the most iconic, most maybe most important pieces of sports memorabilia uh, sold through Heritage Auctions for $3.72 million, I believe was the exact number. Now, this was something that nobody, at least from the video that I watched, so if, you, if you're, if you're um, wondering what I'm talking about, it, is a, it was an unopened case of 1979-1980 Opeachy, uh, Opeachy Hockey, which has the Wayne Gretzky rookie in it, which there's only, I mean, I would say, I think there's only three PSA 10s, and then there's like eight or nine PSA 9s, but like, or there might be only two PSA 10s, because if you remember that 1979 Wayne Gretzky rookie, there was two different versions of it. There's the Opeachy version, which is the Canada-only release, um, which is the more sought after because it was printed less, I believe. Uh, also, it was cut with wires rather than cut with like a, a like a actual paper cutter. Like the Tops version was, which is the other version. Like I said, Tops, the Tops version. Uh, that's the other version. They're both. They both look exactly the same. The only difference is the back of the Opeachy version is in uh, is in French. I was going to say is in Canadian, Canadian, but that's not the language. French is the language that it would be in, um, which I think is really cool. So there, go to you can go to Heroes for Sale my Twitter, um, or I think I'll try and see if I think Hobby News Daily may have reposted this as well. But it was from Darren Ravel. He posted a video of Heritage basically talking about this. Like I said, one of the more iconic pieces of sports history, um, I would say, because you know if you look at like the Mount Rushmore of sports cards, I think it probably is like the 19, uh, the, the Jordan rookie, the Jordan Fleer rookie, the Wayne Gretzky rookie. And from there, you know, you, I, you can make your debates. It's probably the 52 mantle. I would say is probably in that category. And then number four, I mean, there's a bunch of different ones you could put in that conversation, but I think the big thing for this piece here is that it was a 16 box unopened case that, People, so it was a. They said they drove up to Canada uh, to get this case, and it was in a, in like a pretty nice facility, like not even a storage facility. It was like in like a room, like an office. It was under a bunch of stuff. The people who own the case actually thought that they had. These are some of the fun facts I learned from watching this video about the story. Is that the cases of Opeachy back then actually had the second year because it was dual because it was dual year. It was nineteen ninety seven or nineteen seventy nine. 1980, they put whatever the year the Stanley Cup occurred in the or on the box. So the box says 1980 on it. And uh, somebody, you know, this is this is pretty wild that they would suggest this, but they're like, you should you should suggest or the people were suggested to look inside the case to look at the boxes. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure why I'm. Just, I, I have a feeling like this was probably done by a professional. I can't imagine somebody would just crack open the case like this. Um. Because, you know, even if you have a 1980 Opeachy, Opeachy case, that's probably, they were saying in the video, that's around the three hundred fifty dollars to $400,000 range for an unopened case of 1980-81 Opeachy. Um, 1979, obviously, is going to have that Gretzky. But when they cracked open the case a little bit, they saw that the boxes were white, which those are the 1979 Opeachy, not the 1980. The 1980 Opeachy cards had a blue box. So... Immediately, that you know that probably raises some flags where they're like, oh, maybe we have, maybe this isn't exactly what we think it is. Like this is maybe a case of the 1979, which again, obviously in the video they're saying that this is the nicest case they've ever, or this is the only case that they've ever seen. They didn't even think that case like this existed, but they're looking at the boxes and they said, I think 13 of the 16 
um, or 18. I know they said it was 13. I forget the exact number of how many um, how many they said there was in the case. I forget exactly off the top of my head. But he said, like, basically 80% of the boxes were still in, like, pristine condition They that the person, again, like they were saying, you know, obviously they're going to be saying stuff like this. Like, they've never seen a box, like, look like this. Like, they've never seen, like, even a, a box that looked as nice as these boxes did look like in this case. There were a couple that, you know, because of over time with it being a product that was, you know, 1970, that was... 19 or 1980 that was 50 years ago which again that's i saw a video the other day on tiktok that was just like um doing makeup styles from over the past 50 years and they started in 1980 and i almost i almost spit on my coffee and i wasn't even drinking any coffee and that's not my joke i'm that i've seen that i've seen people say that on the internet but it was so shocking that they were said that they were going back 50 years and they only went back to 1980. I was like, oh my God, like it was so jarring. I was like, whoa, I took a step back. I was like, oh my God, that's insane. But either way, so this, you know, that's 50 years ago. So 50 years of this box, I, I don't know if it was moved or what along those, what happened to it, but like these people had it in what was a, your room with a bunch of other carts. So like I'm, I'm imagining the condition of everything was probably in a similar state where they're trying to keep it as, pristine as possible and they brought it to baseball card exchange which i mean i'm i'm glad that baseball card exchange has sort of um brought back their reputation because they did have a pretty tough you know 2020 where they wrapped that pokemon case um and the logan paul pokemon case or yeah was it the case of the box i think it was a box they wrapped the the box of like the original starter booster packs for uh, the original Pokemon set for Logan Paul way back in the day, and then he opened them, and it turned out that they were actually not, like, real cards in them. Even inside the boxes, the packs weren't even... The packs were, like, G.I. Joe packs, which... Look, I'm gonna be honest here. I'm skeptical about if any of that was real. If... Based on the evidence and based on knowing Logan Paul and based on how I know that he's kind of a scumbag... I would imagine that that was probably faked, and Baseball Card Exchange, unfortunately, just caught some strays in uh, the creation of what this was. Um, they probably were paid pretty handily, I would imagine, uh, for doing something like this. Unfortunately, I think that they did lose a little bit of their reputation for a while, um, but I think, you know, once something like this happens where, you know, people are still, um, people are still buying the, these baseball card exchange wrapped cases um three million three million three point seven million dollars for this case for this wayne gretzky case which you know it's i I don't, I don't know what you do with this this is one of the other things within sports cards that sometimes i don't exactly understand is like in this scenario this person buys this what are they gonna like do with it sure they probably will put it like is like Unfortunately, sports cards are the type of thing where it's like you have to buy it and then you have to put it away. Like it's not really a thing you can put on display. Like because even if you do put it on display, it's like not like it's not like somebody will know like what it is. I suppose. I mean, in theory, if you have friends who are into sports cards, they may you know if you put this in some sort of display case in your house, like three million dollars. This is what also what I've talked about. You know, we have the Caitlin Clark, which this is a little bit different, but we had the Caitlin Clark one of one superfractor autograph from Bowman that sold a couple weeks ago. 
for $78,000, which is now the, you know, the by far and away the most expensive women's basketball card of all time. Uh, but there's opportunity costs when that comes into that. They're not, you know, the people who are buying that $78,000 sports card, the people who are buying that $3.7 million sports card case, this isn't the last of the money that they have. They're not spending their life savings on this thing. Um, they probably have the money and they look at the opportunity cost and say, well, especially for this, especially for this case, like this was a case that nobody Nobody even knew existed. No one even thought it. No, no one even thought a case like this existed. So the fact that <clears throat> the fact that it does exist, and the fact that they were able to get it wrapped and authenticated, and there was nothing wrong with it, is you know kind of a miracle. If I'm going to be completely honest, like a sports card miracle. I, I'm not going to exaggerate here, but a sports card miracle when it comes to like how wild it is that this case even exists in the first place. Because like I said. These people, they just—it was just a box that somebody had at their house that they didn't even know was 1979 because it said 1980 on it. So it's like, how would you? Unless you have some sort of sports card person looking at it, like who would have known? So they probably just put it in the far back. Nobody's even looking for it, really. Like nobody—if they just think it's a 1980 case, like sure, I guess maybe you want to have a little bit of an inventory and say, well, the 1980 case is still worth like three, four hundred thousand dollars. So you'd want to look at that potentially. But either way, I think it's. It's really crazy that this case even exists in the first place, and the opportunity cost, you know, this is a case like this. This may be the only case that will – because now it's not like it's not like this product is something where they just can remake it. Like this is a product where the, the, number, of, the, the number of cases that still exist after this one, you'd have to imagine zero. You have to imagine cannot be very high because of Opeachy being such a limited product, and because it's in Canada and not the U.S. Uh, you'd have to imagine that there's just not there's just not other cases like this sitting around somewhere, especially ones like they said that are going to be in this good condition. It's going to be really rare, so it's really cool to see that you know we are we are seeing this case being sold through heritage auction or yeah through heritage auctions like i said 3.7 million dollars the person ended up getting for the case as well on yesterday's episode i talked about that opichi case that sold for 3.72 million dollars which you know that's going obviously going to be a significant portion of um of what heritage's sales were this weekend but overall, Heritage sold over $26 million uh, worth of, you know, everything from this weekend, basically. There was a bunch of other boxes I think they sold as well. There were, like, old Fleer baseball, a uh, couple baseball, that, which, I mean, any of these boxes that are selling now, they're probably going to have, like, th the top of the top rookies. And Ooh, sorry, excuse me the top of the top rookies in them. They also had a bunch of cool memorabilia, like they had a uh, Yankees World Series ring. Um, but then the other big sale, and, you know, this one, I, I guess maybe fell under the radar, in my opinion. Like, I didn't cover this. I didn't really, I didn't know that this was being sold. I mean, maybe I saw it in passing, but there was a, a PSA 8.5 Tops Mickey Mantle that sold, uh, that sold for $2.3 million also. And, you know, there's only the six PSA 9s and then the three PSA 10s that are even graded higher than this one. Like, I, it, it says it's one of the only five that are graded an 8.5. Um, one of the only five that are 
graded at the level of a PSA that with a nine or higher. I don't I don't know exactly what that means, but that's just something that uh, I saw. I was I'm looking at this in an article back in January. 2021, I think we probably all remember that the PSA 9 sold for $5.2 million, and then I guess it must have been last year that a SGC 9.5, which in the in the grand scheme of things is probably, it's, it's higher than a 9, but it's not as high as a 10, so I think it's an interesting, um, interesting thing there with like comparing differences in prices, uh, differences in, um, grades and that one sold for like 12 million dollars which i thought was pretty pretty wild yeah sgc 9.5 i'm reading that right now 2022 remains the most ever paid for a sports piece of sports memorabilia um maybe sports card because i think there's been other sports memorabilia that has sold for more than i'm not 100 percent sure but so the total sales of the two nights ended up being uh nearly 26 million dollars uh, with with over 27,000 bidders participated, which, I mean, you know, who knows how many of those were uh, the same people, you know, or just on different items. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that could be unique bidders. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not sure how you can tell on Heritage, to be honest. I haven't really, to be honest, Heritage always has stuff that's, like, way above what I would pay for. Um, and granted, I haven't really thought about buying, so like I'm sure if I went to the site, I'm sure I could probably find some stuff that's fairly cheap. But um, it feels like Heritage is definitely an auction house that has more expensive stuff. Like you can go to Golden every single week and buy stuff for ten, twenty dollars, which I think is very, um, you know, I've done that a couple times. I was planning on flipping the stuff, but I, I don't know. I just didn't get around to it. I, I, you know, I paid, I bought like three or four cards for like $10 a piece and I was planning on selling them. I, I don't know. It didn't, I don't know. Like I said, they're still in my inventory with Golden, so they didn't really work out there. Um, but so I'm reading this article from Sports Collector Daily, Sports Collectors Daily, which is another phenomenal site, um, that I suggest checking out. It has like articles like of, um, stuff along these lines. I mean, uh, you know, recaps on some of the option, auctions, stuff along those lines. So, in addition, there was a 1970, in addition to the 1979, uh, there was also two second and third release Topps Baseball from 1966, a uh, fourth series Cello from 1971. I'm guessing these are all cases because that, because the 1966 sold for $276,000. The Cello box, the Cello box from 1971, which I think that's the Ricky Henderson, if I'm not mistaken, um, that sold for $198,000. And then there was a 1963 Fleer football box, which sold for uh, $204,000. Now, some of these boxes, again, kind of similar to to last night's when I was talking about the the case, what do you do with something like this? Like, do, like, especially because also the person got the case wrapped. So, like, they got it authenticated. Is this something where, like, what does this self, like, how long do you, like, and this is maybe, like I said, opportunity cost. I wonder when and how much that case, that this, the Opeachy case will sell for in the future. Like, is somebody going to look back on that purchase and be like, yeah, that was a good, at 3.7, you know, we sold it for five. Like that's probably, if it's sell, if it were to get up to five, that's probably a reasonable profit. I would say, I mean, again, like, again, like I've said on multiple different episodes, this wasn't their last three thousand, this wasn't their last $3 million. So like, I'm sure they have some sort of investment strategy and especially, you know, 
I feel like with um, with specific cards, you might find that, and and this is maybe an assumption that I'm making that may be correct or maybe incorrect. Um, with specific cards, you might find people who are not um, as savvy of as savvy as sports card people that you would if you're buying a case because it's like the case you're it feels like it just has like a different type of um not mystique but it has like a it has like a different level of like how much of a collector you are potentially and and, and i'm that's me obviously kind of projecting here a little bit like thinking that i'm just speculating here i don't know for sure but like if you're buying if you're buying an unopened case and you're not planning on selling it that's that I think would take another an extra level of uh, dedication to not opening these boxes. Where if you're buying a card, a one card, you know, you know, you, I don't know, you might have a little bit, you might not be looking at as much info as you would with a case like this potentially. I don't know. That doesn't. That doesn't. You know, if you're spending three million dollars, you, you would assume that the person's doing their due diligence so they know what they're buying. But at the same time, you know, we've seen stuff that has sold for in those high ranges, um, not necessarily that these cards shouldn't, or the specific cards shouldn't have been selling in those ranges, but we've definitely seen, because you're going to see more cards than boxes, you're going to see much, many more, you probably will see many more Opeachy, uh Wayne Gretzky rookies sell than you will like a case like this, because like I said in the video, they said that the, the case was once in a lifetime, like they had never seen, like people were saying at the, I think they were saying in the video that they never even, they didn't even think a case existed, an unopened case, so, you know, again, like you're, like, I, I guess it comes down to the, you know, I guess the question that I have for many people here on the podcast would be like, would you rather buy an 8.5 mantle for 2.3 or and and I'm and I'm kind of you know generalizing those two purchases because I think if you're spending two point three on a card or you're spending three point seven on a case, you know you're um uh it's a generalization like you know you could look at it three thousand two thousand dollars I think if you were to make the numbers smaller it would make more sense to put those two things in the cat in the conversation sure uh, 1.5 million dollars is going to be a significant difference but I, I think you know I, I don't think I need to explain myself anymore so like would you rather have the one the the 2.3 million dollar 52 mantle PSA eight and a half or the unopened case and I don't know. I mean, it's if I had that type of money, I think I might even. Try, I honestly see this is where I get into maybe my gambling mind, and I say, well, if the boxes are in such good condition, that means the cards must be in pretty good condition. So that means there's maybe potentially one or maybe I don't know. I like it's not like the. I'm, I think the correlation, the collation. I'm not 100 percent sure if it's like the Fleer, the '86 Fleer with Jordan, where you know that you're getting, I think, on average, four to five Jordans per case. Um, which I guess in theory, if you you know, if you're if you're buying this case for three point seven, you would need like three PSA tens, really. Or I don't know. I mean you would need like if you got one PSA ten from that from that case, I think that would be a win. But again, that's my gambling brain coming into effect there and saying, well, you know, if if you have all these boxes that are in such great condition and this case was in such great great condition, then maybe the Gretzky's that are in there are going to be in great condition as well. And, and I don't know how many Gretzky's come in a box. If I had to guess, it's probably between two and three. Um, 
So I don't know. I think there was, I'm pretty sure it was 16 case, 16 boxes. So if you're getting like 30 to 35 Wayne Gretzky's within a case, I don't know. I mean, yeah, sure. The, the, and this is another conversation. This is another conversation probably for another day is like, if, if somebody, if somebody, you know, it could be a gambler. It could be somebody who wants to open all those packs and send all those cards into PSA. What does, this is a question that I think is something that is maybe higher level is like, does PSA, do they have to hold that card to a higher standard because of the amount of cards that are graded at the highest level? Like, do they have to hold that card to maybe a higher potential standard of someone sending the card in? Now, granted, if you're sending in 30, like this is probably the only person in the whole entire world that has 30 Opeachy Gretzky ungraded rookies. So if you're sending in 30, there's probably, I, I don't know what the chances are that one of them comes back at PSA 10, but if you don't, if you get a nine, you get a couple eights, you get a couple that are in the sort of high grades, you know, maybe you're going to make some of your money back, but that's, you know, again, this is my gambling head coming into, coming into effect here and saying, well, you know, who knows what you could do here. It's probably just smarter to buy the card um, rather than, you know, it's, I think it's an interesting concept to buy the case and then try and get them graded because you know you have, you know what you have, you know you have how many cards, and you know that the boxes were in great condition, so that means the cards inside are probably in decent condition as well, um, or you just keep the case sealed, and then in, you know, whatever, 10, 15, 20, 30 years or whatever, do you just say, oh, we'll try and sell it for five? I, I don't know exactly what you do there, but I think that's that's kind of the conundrum when it comes to buying box, and it's with, with modern as well. So it's, it's the scenario I have with modern as well. Do you buy a box or do you buy the cards? I think that is a... That is a conversation that if within sports cards that I think is going to stand the test of time uh, in, in the history of all of sports cards. All right, so, I mean, just when you thought tops, like... <sighs> This is, and I think I've said this. This is one of the issues I think with the massive amounts of quick growth that Tops and Fanatics have done, um, and Fanatics potentially bringing or, or, or Fanatics having non non sports card people work on work in the sports card department for Fanatics. Um, so apparently, the you know the card that. Um, that Tops announced was one these one of ones the first the first card or first printed or whatever. Um, apparently, the stamp on the front never made it to a bunch of them. Um, I, some people are saying all of them. I've only seen ex- two examples, so you know I I, I don't. If I had to guess, it would be it would have to be all of them. If I have to guess, because if it's the first sheet, that would mean that. I don't know. I, 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 it's, it's, it's confusing. I guess I don't know how these cards were handled in the process of putting them into packs. So, like, I don't know if these were, like, like because the, the process is all computer-generated and stuff. But, like, this first sheet had to be put in separately because, you know, I, I, so I don't know if many may know this, but I worked in a print department. Uh, my first job out of college, which was back in 2015. So that's forever ago at this point, almost 10 years ago, which is wild. Uh, shout out to... Shout out to all the people that I worked with there. I, I did take that job a little bit for granted. It was my first job out of college, you know, whatever, whatever. But um, you'd have to, if, if, you know, from my experience of working in this print shop, um, we didn't, we weren't printing cars. We were printing like decks for the company that I was working for. It was a company in Boston. Doesn't really matter. But if you wanted like the, you know, for example, the cover of the decks was always different than um, 
the first page. The pages that were just run through, and this is you're gonna have to stick with me a little bit here. The pages that are run through are its own thing, but the front cover has to. You have to take the paper out. You have to put different paper in. Uh, now with this one, it's probably just a design thing because I worked in kind of all the areas of the print shop and however it's sent over to the printer. Um, again, I think what is happening probably is that. Fanatics is, you know, they're seeing uh, such growth with with acquiring tops, um, and they're trying to do so many different new things that I just think that there's these miscommunications here and there between a bunch of the departments where, you know, with just tops, it could have potentially been just like um, one or not one or two, but it could have been like only a couple departments that were working on certain products. And now you potentially, I actually, I'd be, I'd be kind of interested to know this. And I don't know how we could find this out. Like the production, I think they keep a lot of this under wraps. So that way they can kind of, um, I don't know. I'm actually not sure why they keep it under wraps. I think it's probably a money thing. They probably don't want to give away too much of the secret sauce, I guess, but I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but you know they had to put this they had to put that first sheet in and then cut them and i'm wondering like how did I, I don't know how they they have all of these new things that they want to do that are really cool but they keep messing them up which is just like like again i think it's a it's a circumstance of they have too many different departments working on sports card products and flagship being one of the biggest it's probably the most amount of people all working on one product where, you know, before you probably had a bunch of different departments working on flagship, but it wasn't like, I feel like they probably splintered off a lot of the work that's, that's been done with the, with the tops acquisition for fanatics. So from what it seems like the Eloy, I mean, no, not the Eloy, the, um, Ellie De La Cruz, apparently somebody posted on Facebook that they found it. Like they found that one of one, that first card. And, Without the stamp, now the only way you know is the one of one. It's on the back. So, again, if you have base cards, if you've been opening Top Series 1, go ahead and take a look and see if you, you know, potentially pulled one of these cards, the one of ones, because that's what they were. And I actually am, it's it's good that I'm, I'm glad that they did a stamp on it. That's one thing that I think um, I don't really like about cards, or one thing that I don't like about certain products, you know, Prism, I think, I, I mean, not uh Prism does this. Um, I think Flagship does it in a, a little bit. They they come out with all of these parallels and all of these different colored cards, but there's no stamps on them. And I don't like that because that, that to me, feels like um, – it feels a little fraudulent, if I'm going to be completely honest. Like, because if you're Tops or, you know, Panini in this scenario as well – you could just say there are X amount of parallels within a certain product, and if you just have like hundreds and thousands of unnumbered parallels, that just gives you unlimited range to print as much product as you want. And you definitely heard me rant. I don't like that. Um, I don't like that they have free reign to really do anything that they want within a certain product. And there's no, there's no you know, sports card president that's like, you can't do this or you can't do that. It's all about what the company wants to do at the end of the day. Um, 
and the, you know, getting back to this one of one, so it does have the one of one stamp, which I am a fan of. Uh, the unnumbered parallels, not a huge fan. I don't also also one thing that Tops did over the past couple years was they added a gold parallel that's not numbered, like a gold foil. Um, I thought Flagship really had a pretty good system, if I'm going to be completely honest with how they handled their parallel cards um, within packs. Like, you basically, within and the odds as well, you could look at the odds from, like, 2018, 2019, even, I think, 2020 a little bit. Um, you could look at the... You could look at the odds, and you were basically in a blaster which contained eight packs. You were essentially guaranteed one gold card, numbered gold card, um, and you were also basically guaranteed one rainbow foil, which was like one in 12 packs, but like, if you're buying two blasters, the chance that you're not going to get one is probably pretty slim. I'd say chances are pretty high that you'll even get one in both boxes, because for the most part, I, I remember opening most boxes and getting one of these rainbow parallels, and I'm fine with, like I said, I'm fine with that one, because it's been a staple, it's been a mainstay within the hobby for so long, it's just when we start adding, like I said, a gold foil parallel that's not numbered, it gets, it makes things a little bit more confusing, in my opinion, um, and it makes, it makes the collectability a little bit harder for people, because they have to, they have to keep track of a gold number to whatever the year was, and now they also have to keep track of a gold random foil, and maybe potentially the rainbow foil, which now they've expanded those odds very significantly, um, like, like I said before, and, I, and you may be even looking at your Series 1 packs going, one in eight packs for a gold parallel, like, I don't even know what it is now, but I know it's a lot higher than what it was, or I know it's a lot higher than what it was, I, I off the top of my head, I, for, I don't know what it is now, but I know that the odds have got to be expanded. Um, so, like I said, if you have one of these, if you if you have a bunch of base cards and you've looked at them and you got a bunch of rookies, make sure you're checking the back for the stamps because now there are just going to be a bunch of one of one non stamped cards. And I don't know. Again, this is a thing where it's like I wonder if Fanatics is going to do some sort of redemption program here. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking maybe they should just kind of cut it off and just, like, you know, walk away from this project here and just say, yeah, we messed this one up, let's move on to the next one. Because that's kind of what they've been doing over the past year or so within cards with all of the mess-ups that they've had. Um, they've been good at, you know, contacting people and letting people know on social media, though. So I think that is, you got to commend them for that. Because other companies, you just hear nothing. It's just crickets, which I really don't like because... If there was nothing weird going on, just say there's nothing weird going on. Like I don't understand why, um, I don't understand why it's so hard for a co like for any company that's having some sort of controversy. I don't if if there's nothing weird going on, just say it. Like I don't understand why we have to sit here and wonder and speculate about oh is Panini or is Top sending all of these packs or these boxes to influencers and all of these things. It just seems like it's unnecessary. Um, but you know if you, like I said. The last reminder here, if you have any top Series 1, uh, just remember that the number, the one of one first card, first printed card, I forgot what the stamp exactly said, don't have that stamp, uh, but they do have the one of one, uh, they do have the one of one stamp on the back of the card. Yes, you heard correct in the opening. PSA, parent company, Collector's Universe, is buying SGC grading company and that will give them roughly 90% of the market. This is unbelievable news. Details are not yet known. This is a special edition of the Morning Minute.
I'm Danny Black filling in. Thanks for listening to this special edition. PSA is buying SGC, according to Darren Ravel. News that broke late on Wednesday night. And the impact on this is totally unknown. It is not known if SGC will become a PSA brand or if they will continue to operate as a separate company under the collector's umbrella. But the ramifications are unbelievable. It could be a universal registry. It could be industry domination, and you could see antitrust if somebody wanted to file a lawsuit. Um, I mean, what would PSA take crossovers from SGC and honor the grades? It's really, the tentacles on this are unbelievable. So just thinking about what could happen, I mean, if you were to submit a card right now, would you submit it to SGC? It's hard to imagine that that anybody would submit to SGC um, because you don't know what's going to happen. It, it is just an unknown right now. And I don't know that it, the cards from SGC will continue to hold the value if PSA is considered the premium brand under the umbrella. Some people might be familiar with Beckett, and Beckett had uh, BVG, BCCG, and regular Beckett. And one was BVG was for vintage, Beckett was for modern, but BCCG was for the Beckett Grading Club, uh, or Beckett Collectors Club Grading. And it was a discounted service, and it was not the same level of uh, discipline on the grading, is my understanding. Uh, as the regular Beckett grading. So is SGC going to become the BCCG of Collector's Universe and PSA stay a premium brand? That would that would really be a shame. Uh, the three most expensive cards ever sold uh, are all SGC cards. So when you think about that and you think about SGC's domination in pre-war, um, it really leaves a lot of questions. There's also... Um, some people that are just pure loyalists to SGC, um, and there's pure loyalists to PSA. And a lot of people I've already spoken with do not like this um, and are really upset. And I think, you know, change always causes people to be upset. So I think until the details are known, it's very normal uh, to feel that way. And I think a lot of people in the hobby are going to be upset until the details are known. Um, I, you know, I want to be honest at this point. I know people who are group submitters uh, to SGC, and they were not given any warning. Uh, they don't know what's going to happen with their orders. Uh, people who have submitted to PSA have recently said they're getting their orders back quickly. I know for a fact that SGC uh, has been running behind their advertised five to ten business days. So you wonder if these are related to the sale. Uh, and it's very interesting. You know, I, I don't know that it's good or bad for the hobby immediately uh, without knowing all the details. SGC had about had about 7% of the market, according to Darren Ravel. I don't know uh, what that's based upon. He said it's from Gemray data, but I'm not sure uh, that that equates uh, to the total volume of some of the other companies when you count in trading card games, which is a huge piece of grading right now, uh, about 40% of uh, the major companies. 
So, you know, SGC, really their niche was pre-worn vintage. PSA, you know, I don't think they had a weak spot there. Um, if anything, their prices were equal to SGC. So, you know, the acquisition's interesting. It, it, it really, uh, really, you know, doesn't have a clear path or understanding to what this does to help PSA other than just more, larger market share. So what does that leave you? PSA grading, Beckett grading, CGC grading, um, all, all new options. Uh, and, you know, at this point, we'll wait for more information. But if you're waking up and you didn't hear before you went to bed, uh, PSA is buying SGC. And to be more specific, PSA's parent company, Collectors Universe, or Collectors, is buying SGC. Enjoy your leap year, February 29th, and thank you for letting me jump in. This was the Morning Minute. So, from what I've seen over the past few days on Twitter, unfortunately, it looks like the the one-of-one one Superfractor Tops Finest Messi from this year, not last year, uh, has been pulled, which, depending on when you're listening to this, is before the product has even been released. Uh, and that's kind of one of the big controversies surrounding this card is that, like, somebody, I guess, opened the product. Um, it was documented. I, I, I saw someone, I saw a, I don't know if it was a breaker or someone's, some account's name um, that they pulled the card. So, you know, it, 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 I don't know. It, it's weird. I don't know why the, I don't know why people open, I, I guess, I don't know why people open products early. Um, it seems like there are so many other options. And the fact that this person is kind of... Now that they're known for pulling this card, like, I don't know if Tops or Fanatics or Panini. Panini, probably not. But I don't know if there's, like, a database or anything that these card companies are carrying that they have that, like, the people who open the product are in breach of contract. They're in breach of, like, they... I can't imagine that there's no con like within within business and stuff like if you're doing stuff on a if you're doing business on a smaller scale there's probably not as many contracts but if you're doing business on the level that tops and fanatics are doing business there's definitely contracts so opening this product before you're supposed to it has to be in breach of some sort of contract like it has to be in breach of whether it's with you know, I don't know. I guess it's like, I don't know where this person got the product from. Like, I don't know if they got it from a distributor or if they got it from a buddy or whatever, but it's like, it's unfortunate that something like this could happen. But the second part of this is something more about the MLS and with Messi is I wonder what Topps' plan is here for what they're going to do after Messi either I, I can't I, I would imagine he probably retires after um after the MLS. I can't imagine I mean he's old but and from from a sports perspective he's old. So I don't know if he has like a plan of like there's no way that there's no way that leaving the MLS and going somewhere else would be a better option, I think, for him. Like like maybe because I look at it this way, like with Messi there's no way that a club that's good would pay him the money that he wants to at the end of whatever this MLS contract that he has. 
that's going to be first of all more lucrative than what he has here. Like he has he's in he is like the league. Like he is like he signed a contract that apparently he has some sort of he is basically going to be part owner of the Miami, at least from what I remember remember seeing when he was originally come gonna come over here. But he also was getting a a, a section of the the Apple TV deal. Like the MLS is gonna give him revenue from the Apple TV deal. And here's the thing with Messi that I'm gonna try and make a comparison here and you're gonna have to stick with me because I I I'm pretty sure it's right, but I think maybe I'm still tweaking it a little bit. I think Messi with the MLS is like what Taylor Swift did with the NA the NFL, where they are both such huge megastars. They have such a large audience and with Taylor Swift in the NFL, I wonder how many of those fans are going to still be fans of the NFL, hypothetically, if Taylor Swift is not as involved as she is with, you know, being on the broadcast and stuff along these lines. And I wonder with Messi is kind of the similar situation with the MLS. It's like, I wonder how many people are fans of Messi, not fans of the MLS. Same thing, fans with fans of Taylor Swift, not fans of the NFL. I wonder how many of the fans, which I, I don't know. Yeah, like I said, the comparison, it's, 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 it's a little bit loose, but um, like I said, stick with me here. Uh, the, when Messi either retires or he leaves the MLS, I do wonder how many of the fans of Messi end up sticking around and end up being, um, I don't know, lifelong fans of the MLS. I mean, anybody who's 25 years old at this point, Anybody who's older than 25 remembers probably, or, or, or I don't know, 30 probably, because you don't maybe don't remember the first couple of years of when you were born. They remember the beginning of the league. Like, the MLS is not new, or not old. It's a new league. It's only 25, 26 years old at this point. So when Messi leaves, I wonder what Tops and Fanatics' contingency plan is. Like, is it to, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it could be. Like, is it to maybe... Um, bring in like I mean I mean it's it's contingent on the league. So like I said, I hope that what tops and fanatics do over the next few years is look at the number and not pro- not project what the MLS can be based on what's going on right now with Messi. I'm hoping that they look at it and say. We see a, whatever, 20, 30, 40, 50%. I don't know what the number is. I'm making a number up. Let's just say it's they, the increase in popularity of MLS products is 50%. Let's just say. Let's just say for this example. But when Messi leaves, it's going to drop to 20. So I'm just hoping that Tops and Fanatics are looking at this and saying, yes, right now, we just have to basically weather the storm. We have to figure out how to produce these products. We have to figure out how to make these cards. Um, we have to figure out how to make these cards, but like almost stay like don't grow. Like that's that's the one thing that I think is going to be going to be very hard and almost I would say almost impossible for tops and fanatics is to not grow employees and grow the business but like because after 
after Messi leaves, I think we're going to probably see a significant shift in what people are interested in if they're interested in the MLS. Sure, there might be people that are stragglers and they, they stay stay for the ride, but I don't know. I do hope that Tops and Fanatics are making some sort of contingency plan here for when ultimately Messi is too old, he retires, um, and they can't rely on – like him being the biggest player in a product like because that's what he is now mls right now from last year to this year and the messy card is going to be the card that people want so i'm i like i said i just am hoping that they're looking at this and realizing the gold mine that they have the gold mine that they didn't have any um they didn't have any uh say in this happening um they are able to uh, they're able to realize that they have caught they've caught a time period right now within soccer that they're never going to be able to replicate because it's like they don't have any they don't have any um, they don't have any say in what when where players go so it's like the fact that Messi came to the MLS is like really like really like insane and I, I hope that they make sure that they check themselves when they're thinking about this because it. It really is. Like, it's really one of the craziest sports moves of all time is Messi coming here um, and most influential, most, you know, helping the league, like helping all, doing all of these things. And if, if Tops and Fanatics can make sure that they, you know, if they produce these cards, just make sure that in five years from now, they don't have to do all of, a ton of layoffs because they expected that the growth was going to be forever because that's one thing within – and this is my last point of the show is like within content creation – I actually talked to Danny about this the other day. is like we see content creation and we see the growth sometimes and we expect that the growth ends up being what the norm is when the norm is really below – uh, what the growth was, but it's above what our old average was. So I'm hoping that Tops and Fanatics look at this the same way and say, when Messi is gone, we're going to see a drop, but hopefully we can set up the infrastructure and hopefully we can set up products and entice people to buy these products that may not, maybe they care about Messi right now, but once Messi is gone, they're still going to care about MLS and soccer cards.